The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Reuters Next. I'm Gina Chan, columnist for Reuters Breaking Views. We're joined by Cheryl Sandberg, Chief Operating Officer at Facebook. Cheryl, Happy New Year, and thanks for uh, teeing us uh, up some news for us to discuss today. <laughs> Thank you, Gina, for having me, and Happy <laughs> New Year, and I hope everyone watching at such a hard time is safe and healthy. So I wanted to uh, dive into Facebook's decision to indefinitely ban President Donald Trump from the platform, at least through Inauguration Day. So we've seen him egg on his supporters to fight the election results for months now. And we've seen some of them uh, have a propensity for violence, which we saw culminate in the storming of the Capitol last week. We've also seen the president uh, make comments in the past that could be interpreted as inciting violence, such as uh, last May when he said, um, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. So why wait until the violence had already occurred? Uh, was Facebook too slow in cutting off the president? It's such an important question, Gina, and it's such a really important moment. I think we all have moments in our lives where it's such a big deal that you're gonna remember where you were decades later. And I think last week was that moment. I, um, after the day was over, sat down on the couch with my fiance Tom, our five children aged eight to 16, watching the day's events and trying to really talk them through it. You know, this is not our country. This looks like something that would ha be happening somewhere else. You know, our country is, is about the peaceful transition of power. And so these events were absolutely devastating. The president um, put up posts we took down. And then as you said, we did go to an indefinite ban. And that is a really big step. And there are definitely people out there, as your question said, who thinks, think this was clearly coming. You should have banned him before. Now, we had already banned QAnon, Proud Boys, Stop the Steal, anything that was trying to organize a violent protest. But there are people who feel you should have banned the president years before. And there are people who sitting here today feel, wow, taking down the voice of a president is too far even now. So why did we do it? We have clearly established principles that say you cannot call for violence in this moment. We took down those posts that we thought might be calling for violence or were calling for violence immediately. But in this moment, the risk to our democracy was too big that we felt we had to take the unprecedented step of what is an indefinite ban. And I'm glad we did. Was, looking back now though, was there anything you feel like Facebook could have done sooner. Uh, the sort of march towards the rhetoric of the protests um, and talking about violence seemed to grow as it started getting closer to the uh, congressional meeting. And there seemed to have been some indications that this could get ugly. And the president himself is, is making some indications on that front. Looking back now, do you feel like there's anything Facebook could have done sooner? Well, we know this was organized online. We know that. Um, we, again, took down QAnon, Proud Boys, Stop the Steal, anything that was talking about possible violence last week. Our enforcement's never perfect, so I'm sure there were still things on Facebook. 
I think these events were largely organized on platforms that don't have our abilities to stop hate and don't have our standards and don't have our transparency. But certainly to this day, we are working to find any single mention that might be leading to this and making sure we get it down as quickly as possible. And where do you go from here? And what positions are you advocating for? Will we see uh, President Trump permanently ban the way uh, the Twitter has moved? And how soon can we expect a decision on that? Our ban's indefinite. We've said at least through the transition, but we have no plans to lift. We have no plans to lift it. No plans to lift it. No plans to lift it right now. But okay. indefinite, at least through the transition, we've been very clear. There's obviously so much happening, and this is such a big step. We will definitely let people know and be very transparent about any changes to this. And what about other public figures then? Because it's not just President Trump who has been uh, calling for supporters to fight physically in the streets. Um, You've seen people like uh, Congressman Louis Gomer of Texas make references to violence in the streets. President Trump's own son, Don Jr., has also made similar references. Do you see this ex expanding to other uh, members of, of Congress, to other public figures who could be playing similar roles, especially as uh, the, the lead up to the inauguration gets closer? Yes, our policies are applied to everyone. We have taken down things that Don Jr. has said. We have taken down things from other world leaders, other people in public office, and those policies apply. So the policies of you can't incite violence, you can't uh, be part of inciting violence, you can't even support people who are supporting uh, the, um, the call for violence like these groups we've talked about were taking down. Those policies apply to everyone, and we'll take that stuff down as soon as we can find it. That includes members of Congress and, and other public figures. Everyone. I mean, this shows that even a president is not above of the policies we have. So you mentioned uh, other world leaders, and unfortunately, there are uh, some out there who have also uh, arguably incited violence. There's uh, people like Bolsonaro in Brazil. There's Duterte in the Philippines. Could something like this that has happened to President Trump happen to other world leaders? Absolutely. Our policies apply to everyone. And I'm so glad you brought up the international perspective on this. I know you're obviously an international reporter, so it's close to your heart, but that really matters. So when you think about what's happened here in the 2016 election, there were a lot of things we missed. We didn't know what foreign interference was. The Russian interference took us by surprise and that's on us. No one saw it coming. We didn't see it coming. If you look forward to 2020, we know what this form of interference is. We take down coordinated um, attacks all of the time and we're able to find them and take them down. We have policies in place we didn't have before. But you don't just mark time with those four years from one US election to the other because there have been 200 elections around the world. And the work we are doing to build up the systems, to build up protection, I think work that paid off in the 2020 election when you think about what we know today about the difference between 2016 and 2020 in terms, in terms of some of the things we saw. Those things are happening all over the world and our policies apply and our technology applies. And that's been really important to us. 
What do you think, uh, sort of the bigger picture, what this says about Facebook's role in society? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, your boss, has said uh, Facebook shouldn't be an arbiter of truth. But does this show that the platform is at least an arbiter of online speech? And that is a lot of power for one company to have. I think it's the right question. I mean, there are clear concerns about the size and the power of the U.S. tech companies. And those are concerns I understand. You know, most of the rules that govern the Internet were written 25 years ago. And we've been very public in not just saying we'll participate in legislation, but we're calling for regulation. We do think the internet needs new regulation and that includes us in lots of areas. We're working on here, we hope to work with the new administration and we work with people around the world. That said, in these moments, we are a private company and we have a service we provide and it is our responsibility to make sure that service is not used for things that it shouldn't be used for like what happened last Wednesday. So in this moment, we have an obligation to be transparent. We have longstanding policies, but I think we had an obligation to make sure this didn't happen on our platform, even though certainly that is a big decision for a private company to make. I don't think there's another one we could have or should have made. I get what you're saying that it is a private company and you guys are sort of left in this um, between a rock and a hard place in some ways because Congress is, um, has been upset on both sides of the aisle with your company, with, with others, but they have yet to actually pass any legislation or rules to update uh, the liability protections in Section 230 or privacy laws or, or anything else, really. So you guys are really left then to make these decisions for society, for what online speech means, does that put you in a sort of a quasi-government role? Does that make you into some sort of sort of public critical infrastructure in some ways? How do you sort of categorize where Facebook lies in this? I think these are big issues for our industry. I mean, we did let the president speak on our platform consistent with cable news, print news, everyone covers the president. And, and I think that was the right decision because there is free expression and people should hear from their leader whether or not they agree, they agree uh, with what he said. And then obviously with the events of last week, it violated our policies and it was a risk we, we couldn't take. I think going forward, we are very open to reform of a lot of these rules. And I think work has to be done. Also remember that we don't just exist under US law. People in Europe have passed privacy legislation. There has been more reform. There has been some at the state level. There's been privacy legislation in California that we've applied that, that we've applied more broadly. But yes, we do believe some of these rules need to be rewritten. And we are hopeful that the Biden administration will work, will work on them. You mentioned the Biden administration. Uh, there was some tension. Uh, between the Biden campaign and Facebook um, through 2020 with some of these uh, really critical issues uh, coming online with uh, what to do about some of these extremist views. Is, is that an opening for you guys to perhaps have better dialogue with 
the new administration? Is, is there a sense that maybe this is a place where you think you can um, work together? Yes, I mean, I think like a lot of Americans, I sit here today, you know, really upset about what happened last week, certainly upset about the polarization in our society and very hopeful, very hopeful that President Biden, Vice President Harris are gonna usher in a new day. You know, I'm hopeful for, for there'll be more cooperation, more will get done across the board. And I'm also really hopeful that girls all around the world are gonna see for the first time a woman and a woman of color, um, you know, in the White House working as vice president. I'm, I'm very hopeful that we will be able to work on all of these issues, but I'm hopeful for so much more for our country. We deserve better. Speaking of the Biden administration, what about uh, the steps leading up to the inauguration? Uh, we've seen now the FBI put out a bulletin about our protests uh, at state capitals in, in all 50 states and also our protests again in DC. What is Facebook going to do to try to tamp that down as best it can? And, and obviously you can't control people's behavior, but trying to minimize the use of Facebook to possibly perpetrate any of these acts. Um, what, what kind of um, policies and, and monitoring will you have in place? Well, thank you for asking. It's certainly something we've been on through this period, through the election and built up the systems to do this over the last few years. So any calls for violence come down immediately from our platform, any groups, that are doing that come down immediately from our platform. Any people supporting the groups that are doing, doing that come down as well. We also work with law enforcement where it's appropriate. If there are things we see, we are, we are fast refer, referrers in. And that doesn't just exist on the national level, it certainly exists for state capitals. Those same kind of language, that same kind of calls to violence, those things violate our policies and have to come down fast. Well, how fast and how expansive is your system for catching this? Because even just for me, look, looking at some of the, the dark sides of what people post, I mean, I saw just yesterday people talking about a, a great event on January 20th and, and not talking about it in a, in a positive sense. There does seem to be, you know, maybe people not uh, outright calling for violence, but at least alluding to something happening and, and, and something, you know, bad happening. Yeah. I mean, our policies are that if anyone calls for violence or it's clear that a group is part of that, the group comes down. So when you think about taking down QAnon, Proud Boys, Stop the Steal, we didn't just take down those groups as they called for violence. We took them down entirely. When someone is a truly bad actor on the platform, they come down whether they're calling for violence or, or eluding it. So we have broad systems in place, automated systems to look for these things and they're looking for them right now as we speak. And I wanted to uh, talk about some of the other um, government pressures that you guys are facing at the End of last year, we saw um, almost all the um, state attorneys general, along with the Federal Trade Commission, come in with antitrust lawsuits against Facebook. And a lot of it focused on the company's M&A strategy and saying, 
basically Facebook has used deals uh, or the, the threat of deals essentially to shut down or co-opt competitors. So I know, you know, the lawsuit is one thing and you guys will, will fight that and it will probably take years, but for Facebook's business now, does that essentially mean that M&A is going to be on hold for the company? Do you feel like with the likely greater scrutiny, especially under a Biden administration, that Facebook can really go out and even by startups uh, that may go under the radar in, in other times? Like all big companies, you know, we've always done a mix of buying things and then growing them. I mean, it's hard to remember, but Instagram had 13 people when we bought it, right? It passed, cleared regulatory review for antitrust. So did WhatsApp. WhatsApp had 55 people. These were small companies at the time that we then bought and grew. And then developing things um, ourselves. We have a huge R&D budget we develop every year. And our strategy right now is we are still making you know, small and kind of niche acquisitions. But for the most part, we've been developing products on the platforms we own. Through this period of coronavirus, you know, like so many companies, we sent all our workers home to work from home overnight. I've been really proud of the products we've put out. One of the biggest challenges that's been out there is business. Small businesses, big businesses, but small businesses have failed at an enormous rate and they needed to migrate online. So a lot of small businesses use up, but we've dramatically changed our product roadmap during this period to ship more things that small businesses needed. Facebook shops, WhatsApp payments, things that would help businesses stay afloat. Um, and all of that was built, built within the company. And I think those, that kind of product innovation is really important. And with everything going on, we have to keep our eye on that ball too. We have to make sure we have a responsibility to people that use our services to continue to innovate and put products in the market like the ones we did that we think helped a lot of small businesses survive this terrible period, at least to date. So speaking of innovation, are, are you worried at all about uh, these lawsuits and, and the regulatory and uh, political pressure um, being sort of a drain on resource and sort of intellectual capacity at the company? I mean, we saw with Microsoft, the government uh, actually lost in terms of their effort to break up that company. But I think Microsoft then uh, missed out on a lot of uh, big trends. They're obviously fine now, but at that time, uh, you know, they, it was a bit unstable. We saw Bill Gates uh, step down at that time. Um, are you confident that Facebook can sort of keep its eye on the ball that, uh, you, that you being deposed, Mark possibly being deposed, that that's not going to be such a um, resource drain and brain drain that uh, it doesn't distract from business opportunities? Well, it's a good question. And it's a question a lot of people are asking because the pressure on the US tech companies is very real. And I don't think that's pressure that uh, companies in other countries are facing. And that's certainly a competitive disadvantage in a market we have to compete in. We have a responsibility to focus on these issues, to work with the government, work through this litigation, and Mark and I and all our teams take that really seriously. But if you look at the history of Microsoft, you're right. I think, as they would tell the history, people said it was a major distraction, and they really missed the next phase of the technology development. You know, would there have been three mobile operating systems? Would Windows Mobile have been the third, along with Android and Apple? 
likely, probably, ironically, that probably would have been better for competition, certainly better for developers, more systems to innovate on. And so we know that history and we have to both work on these serious issues, work with the governments, work on reforming the rules that govern us, which need to be reformed and keep innovating. I think this period has shown um, that we really can keep putting out great products. I'm really proud of the work our teams did on all the products we rolled out for small businesses, but it's a challenge going forward and one we have to be very cognizant of. And I mentioned uh, Bill Gates stepping down in, in that period. I wanted to ask about uh, the future leadership at Facebook. There were some questions, uh, especially as Mark took on a more public role in, in Washington and elsewhere about your own role at the company that you had been the face of Facebook and that seemed to have, have been diminished uh, as Mark stepped up. So what is your response about, you know, reports of you being sidelined, reports of uh, you leaving, are you there to stay? What What's next for you? I'm staying, you know, with all of its challenges. <laughs> I love my job. Mark and I have been worked together partners for it'll be 13 years in March. And we feel we have a real responsibility, a real responsibility to fix the systems that didn't work before to protect our service and to make sure great things can happen. People love headlines about corporate drama and I think it's fair to say they particularly love headlines about sidelining women. But I just feel tremendously lucky to have this job because there is so much good. I get to meet the most incredible people around the world. In London, I met a woman named Mel. She started something called This Mums Run. So it's a mom's running club in Bristol in the UK. And then turned into a business when coronavirus happened, it shut down and guess what they did? They are these moms volunteering and they ran to pick up prescriptions for the elderly and get them to their homes. In the early days of coronavirus where no one thought they could leave their house without getting it, these mothers ran to the pharmacies, got the drugs and got them to the elderly. That's why I say, because there's so much good that happens here. And I just, I think it's such a big responsibility to keep the service protected so that good can keep happening. See the fact that Mark has stepped up publicly, and that had been a role that you had fulfilled in the past. Um, do you feel like you still have uh, as much of an influential voice at the company as as you did before? Um, is this Mark just sort of coming into his own on on that front? Do you still? have the sort of true number two spot that your title implies? I mean, Mark and I have a great relationship and I think that relationship has just gotten stronger and I think all of us have stepped up. I mean, Mark has been called to testify multiple times. Mark has been speaking on these issues. We hired Nick Clegg, who is the deputy prime minister of the UK to work with us and he's stepped up. We've hired strong people all over the world. And we've definitely, all of us, including Mark, put more focus on public policy issues, on communicating on these issues. And I think that's appropriate. Mark's done a lot more. I've done a lot more. We've hired uh, more people around the world. And I think you're going to continue to see us do that. At the same time, you know, Mark's the product leader of the company. And Mark really led our push to do more e-commerce through coronavirus. 
as we worked on making sure coronavirus misinformation came down, we were all working on that together. We work on AR and VR and Oculus and the future, the future of work. We're all doing that as well. And what about Mark's future? Uh, there was some speculation when Chris Cox came back and he's uh, became chief product officer. And I realize Mark is annoyingly young. He's, he's only 36. So to think about him retiring or whatever is probably too early, but there was there were questions about whether Chris was being groomed to eventually take over for Mark. And I don't know if, you know, being a head of Facebook now at a time when there's so much incoming is as fun as it used to be. What is Mark's future? Is, is Chris being groomed to take over for him? Mark's not going anywhere. Um, but we're <laughs> thrilled to have Chris back. Chris is a great product leader and just a wonderful colleague. It's definitely uh, been wonderful to have him back. <laughs> One thing I did want to ask, though, about, uh, I guess, the business opportunities, and then definitely want to get to uh, how coronavirus has affected the uh, the work environment, particularly for women, uh, is just the ad boycott and the business opportunities in front of Facebook, because it was amazing to see, you know, a thousand of the world's biggest companies boycott the platform and your third quarter results didn't show it at all. Um, uh, it was sort of astonishing. And you're looking at all these different ways now to monetize WhatsApp, particularly overseas. Um, does all the noise about sort of the political and regulatory environment, is that the fact that it hasn't really affected the business, the users are still growing, advertising is still growing, what does that say as well about uh, Facebook and its and the position it's in? Does it mean you can kind of ignore what's happening in DC? I mean, obviously you can't completely ignore it, but it, it as long as it doesn't have an effect on the business, does it have a, a real impact in forcing change? You know, normally when someone boycotts you, they're for something you're against or vice versa. That's not what this was. I mean, the boycott was saying, get hate off Facebook and we want hate off Facebook. I think there's a false uh, belief out there that we somehow profit, that people wanna see this content. That's just not true. We put out our first prevalence study. Hate content is less than 0.1% of content on Facebook. That's obviously lower than a lot of people think, but it's still too high because there should be none. And we really believe that. I think the strength in the business comes from the fact that our products and services are so important to people and so important to small businesses. And I think that's a good thing. You know, during coronavirus, so many people weren't in contact with people the same way. A lot of our person-to-person -person interactions, I mean, I'm pretty sure you and I would be in the same room doing this, probably in some big event in person and you're home in Palo Alto, you know, I'm here in, in Menlo Park. I mean, all the in-person interactions or a lot of them went away. And so our products became more important. People were sending more messages, doing more posts, setting up more groups. And for small businesses, our business is small business. Small businesses are using our products more than ever. The free products we offer, before coronavirus, a third of small businesses in the United States didn't have an online presence at all. And it's expensive to build a website, do a mobile app. And so we provide that for free 
and we put out more and more tools. And then advertising, you know, very personalized advertising where you can buy very small groups of people that are interested in your products and do that in a very privacy protected way. That's the lifeblood of small businesses right now and has been for a long time, but that's why small businesses are surviving. So I think the strength of our business comes from the fact that we provide an important service that people want to use. Sorry, I can't hear you. Some of the small businesses are, sorry, run by women. And I wanted to talk about in particular how women have been affected uh, by the pandemic, especially in the workplace. Um, We're fortunate enough that we can work from home. Uh, A lot of women in, in service jobs have not been able to do that or have lost their jobs. And they are bearing the brunt of the uh, childcare and and other kinds of uh, at-home demands. Um, There was a McKinsey lean-in study about how one in four women are thinking about either uh, downshifting or or leaving the workforce altogether. How are you in in your role at both Facebook and lean-in thinking about these issues and have you seen this problem manifest itself at Facebook? Are you seeing women thinking about leaving or, or having a lot of debates about uh, whether they can really stick around and, and what are you doing to help them in that process? Well, coronavirus is a global pandemic. It's a health crisis. It's an economic crisis and it is a full crisis for women. So the Lean in McKinsey study you referenced said that one in four women were thinking about leaving and it's burnout, that's the number one reason. And then last month in the US economy, women lost 111% of the jobs. Over 100,000 women left the workforce. That means women lost jobs and men actually gained some. And what we're seeing is that, you know, work has never really worked for people with enormous childcare and responsibilities. That falls on moms, it falls tremendously on single moms. It falls even more on women of color. And this crisis has pushed a lot of those women right over the edge and they, they can't do it. Um, you know, at Facebook, I'm proud of what we did. We sent everyone home and protected their health. We are only reopening offices on a voluntary basis when people feel safe coming back. We gave everyone 10 weeks of additional coronavirus leave. We canceled our performance cycle the first half of the year saying, we're just not doing ratings. We're not even gonna judge your performance because we want you to really believe, do what you can do take care of your families. Not every company can do that, but companies can do a lot more than they are doing, a lot more. We surveyed women and women of color and asked, has your manager checked in with you? And in many cases, the answer is no. Has your company adjusted any of its goals? A lot of cases, the answer is no. And look, this threatens to undo a decade of progress for women in the workforce. If women wholesale leave the workforce in these numbers, We're not going to achieve the numbers we want to achieve. And it's really important to understand this isn't just entry level or new moms. This is happening to the most senior women. So if we want to improve those numbers at the top, get beyond the 5 to 7% of the Fortune 500 CEOs we have, we need to stop this attrition now. And we're only going to do that if companies make work work for everyone, and that includes working moms. Yeah, I was just asking about how uh, Facebook has then changed its policies as you've seen how remote work evolves. Um, you guys and a lot of 
other tech companies were the first ones to implement that and now it's it's more permanent what does that mean then for where people can be and and how you're adjusting to sort of this new normal well we think of it as the coronavirus period and then hopefully soon after the coronavirus period for the coronavirus period we are only making essential workers go into any offices and very, very protected. Distance-based, all of the requirements, and we're not gonna make anyone come back until they feel safe, until a vaccine is broadly available, or there are other measures in place that really protect our employees. We are also thinking about the transition to work that this represents. I mean, again, if you would ask me and you, I think a year ago, would we ever do this video via Zoom? We would have said, of course not. That's not how you do these conferences, but here we are and we're answering the same questions. We ship products we never thought we could ship remotely. If you had asked me in January, can we send our whole workforce home and keep our service protected and keep our groups taking down hate and ship more products than we expected? I would have said no, but we did. So now we know that work can be more remote. So we are slowly rolling out and testing a broader remote work policy. We are letting some people do it under certain circumstances. And we're starting to see real take up, but I think work will change. I think people are gonna do less business travel. Uh, you know, I think some of these conferences will come back to person, some will remain online. And I think we can work more remotely. And if, if we make that work, that could be good news for working parents and good news for working moms. While this is such a crisis right now, if companies handle it the right way, maybe we'll get to a place where we can make work work better for people who have to take care of children and have to take care of their parents because it wasn't working before. Well, this has been great, Cheryl. I also wanna make sure that we have uh, time to get to some questions. Um, there's been a couple about uh, WhatsApp and its uh, privacy uh, policies. And we've seen Apple uh, step in a bit on, on that front in, in terms of um, how it's sort of labeling or, or defining um, the parameters of WhatsApp and what's shared with, with Facebook and Instagram. Can you talk about um, where that stands now and where you see that going in the future? So WhatsApp is a fully encrypted services, service. So messages are encrypted, protected. No one can see them. We can't see them. Only the person sending them can see them. And that hasn't changed. As we are starting to offer more business products to WhatsApp, we are allowing WhatsApp and Facebook data to be used so that we can serve those businesses and build those products. But it does not change uh, the full protection and encryption of WhatsApp messages. End to end has never been different and won't be. Okay, and what about uh, Facebook's future in China? Uh, obviously that wasn't, a focused effort to try to get in the country. You guys actually make billions of dollars still on, on people in China who are trying to sell to people outside. Do you see a, a future for Facebook in China at, at some point? Well, we're blocked. We've been blocked uh, in China for a long time and I don't believe that's gonna change. And no efforts for uh, Mark to try to go back to Beijing and, and lobby Xi Jinping? Nothing like that. <laughs> okay. There's also some uh, questions about, uh, again, the Trump decision. Um, 
there are some questions about whether the new oversight board, whether they had any role in that, and also if Facebook and probably for the other tech platforms too are ready to be possibly sued by Trump and others who are banned. Well, when anyone sues us, sues us we'll take that as it comes for sure. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the oversight board because one of the questions we discussed was, do we have too much power on content decisions? And we have worked for a long time, talked to different governments around the world about changes to the regulatory framework, and those haven't happened. So the oversight board was one of our answers to that, where this board is now being set up, has just been set up, it doesn't report to Mark, it doesn't report to me, it's truly independent, and they are able to adhere cases that appeal. So for example, it's first getting up and running and first hearing cases, but if Trump or anyone else wanted to appeal our decision to take them down, they have a place to go and they could do that. So you could see Trump try to step in to this new uh, oversight board process and, and see where that goes? I am, I am not gonna predict what will happen next, but I can tell you what we care about, which is transition is coming. The inauguration is coming. We are focused on doing everything can to protect our services and that ban stays and is indefinite to make sure we get through this. And uh, even after uh, inauguration day and not just Trump, um, whether some of these uh, violent acts continue, I, I assume you guys will still keep evolving some of these policies. Oh, of course, and taking them down. I mean, again, a lot of these groups that we're organizing have been off Facebook and praising them has been off Facebook for a long time. And look, QAnon didn't exist many years ago. So what you're saying is absolutely right. The threats are real. The threats of governments trying to interfere, the threats of people trying to do bad things with the service, they're real, they're always there. And it's our responsibility to stay ahead of those. And, and we, are, we are absolutely focused and that focus is not gonna change the day Biden walks into office. It has to be ongoing, it has to be continuing. Great, well, thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining us. Thanks to our audience for tuning in to Reuters Next. I'm Gina Chan, and uh, we wish you um, a peaceful new year. Thank you, Gina, for having me.